Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and a little preview of what's coming up later on. For our inbox, we have a listener who wants to know, how should a girl respond when she's interested in one guy, but then a different guy asks her out? So I guess that's a good problem to have, but it still can be a conundrum, so I will offer some thoughts on that. And then for our culture segment, author and radio personality Brant Hansen is here to discuss, uh, really based on his book, How We Can Walk in Humility, and the book title is The Truth About Us, and so you won't want to miss that because, of course, in signature Brant style, you know it'll be kind of uh, fun, but also uh, pretty wise, so good stuff there. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, we're actually going to talk about humor during our roundtable. And it's funny because John, our dear producer, put the title of this segment as Using Humor Appropriately, which apparently we have to be told that. Uh, maybe he just wrote that for my my sake, but we're going to have a fun conversation here around that because I think some people naturally do better with humor. Others don't, and other people wish they did, and sometimes people just like mouth off too fast, you know, too much. Hello, finger pointing. Um, and so we have to watch it as well. So I want to welcome Laura, Bill, and Jackson. Hey, guys. Hey, hey Lisa. Lisa. Hello. Wonderful to have you. Okay, so what this is like where i feel like we're like filling out a dating profile here because you know how like when you when you see people who filled them out and it's always like i love humor or i'm super humorous or you know need a good sense of humor like what in the world does that even mean what is a sense of humor and so describe give our listeners a little idea of when when people would see or experience your sense of humor what is it jackson why don't you go first <laughs> okay well i have to you know self-reflect quite a bit here but i think um i think a little bit more witty on the witty side of things as opposed to just the you know laugh out loud type of humor okay. um, i'm a big fan of puns i love oh. a good pun no, we hate those. But go ahead. No, <laughs> no just I'm kidding. with you, Jackson. Just, you yeah. say it to me, you'll hear so, okay, so. So, uh, so hopefully someone would describe me in that way. But I also think, obviously, some sarcasm is uh, evident as well. My wife would probably say okay. say so. Yep, very fun. Well, we'll see. We'll give her time. Jackson just got married a few months ago. So, you know, we'll see if she finds his humor lasting. But so far, so good. All right, Bill, how about you? Well, um, <laughs> Lisa's known me a while, so probably goofball might mm -hmm. might be some of that. Um, I think some of what Jackson said with a little bit of sarcasm in there, but sometimes for me, it's just seeing life a little bit upside down, how goofy element, you know, life can be at different times. So mm -hmm. learning to see that and point it out when it happens. Yeah. Bill is known for uh, back in the day, he and I were on the same team here at Focus on the Family. And he actually wrote like this booklet that was like a cartoon. Like, <laughs> you remember well, that. I think I still have a copy of it. We, actually. we had an assignment that was like, um, if your department was a religion, what would the three sins be? And yeah. I... I went online. Yeah, I remember that now. I downloaded like this weird tract. Like, yeah. this weird, and it, it was erased... like an old school Jehovah's Witness slash. Yeah, chick and I erased all scary. the dialogue in Photoshop and added my own. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure why I did that, it but funny. it definitely yeah. stood out. So. <laughs> it was good. All right, Laura. Yeah, I would have a little bit of both of those sides where I tend to be pretty witty. 
a little sarcastic and puns are kind of like my best friend like dad humor is kind of where I'm at mm-hmm. even though I'm never going to be a dad but mm-hmm. you know um, but at the same time I definitely have that goofball side especially when I'm with kids just like I can I'm just willing to be the weirdo the the crazy and so I have mm-hmm. that side of me particularly when I'm hanging out with with kiddos so. that is funny you say that because I you know here I am saying oh yeah puns whatever but one thing that I love to do with friends and I currently have a housemate and sometimes I'll come up with something like she'll say something and I'll pull one of the words out of what she said and I'll come up with a joke that's based on a pun but the telling of the joke is like so what do you call like if a rhino were going to an aerobics class but he didn't really want to attend but they made him attend so the whole thing is like three minutes long and then she's like I lost where you're even going with this and then it'll have some pun attached to it so, is so if they pulled that? him out would it be a rhino I, really, I gotta come up with <laughs> I've really gotta come up with like what some of these are I always forget them and stuff so oh, maybe I'll think of one by the end of the end of the segment here so uh, it's all good yeah I think I um Um, I always think to myself, like my dad was kind of the goofy one in our family. And then my mom was funny because she would just say stuff like super matter of fact, and it was generally sketchy. And so she ended up being really funny, but not trying to be, you know. Mm -hmm. And so my brother and I are more kind of the, the dry sense of humor folks in our family and kind of playing on off of situational kind of things. And so we enjoy enjoy doing that. But yeah, it's it's cool. Okay, who do do you have with your extensive senses of humor and experience in this area? Do you have any influences or people that you're just like, oh my goodness, they're so funny or this style? Well, Jackson, you alluded to kind of like more the drier humor, but what makes you laugh? Would you say my uh, my two two of my uncles are some of the funniest people I know, and okay. I think it comes from that lifelong bond that they've had. Right, mm-hmm. they've spent so much of life together. And they went to the same college together, so they they just truly have spent so much life and are able to draw upon that. And so I try to emulate that with my siblings as well because we have all these inside jokes that have been going on for so long, and then different people get pulled in or excluded, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I definitely look up to them. Okay, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I think for for me it was my family growing up, sitting around the table at night having dinner. It was just – it could be a fun atmosphere – my dad has a great sense of humor. My mom has this kind of understated, but she knows how to pull a practical joke on people mm-hmm. in a good way. Um, but I think learning from that too, just learning to observe life and the absurdities that you mm-hmm. see that most people don't. So learning, it's okay to laugh a little bit when mm-hmm. life is quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, a lot of it comes from playing off family, just who we are, how we operate. We have a lot of writers in our family. Mm. And so that like quick word of playing off this, playing off that or rhyming, we'll just like start rhyming when we're together and it'll just get so crazy. And we're just, yeah. So my family is probably. That's good. I would say like professionally, I think of like currently, I always seem to crack up when like Kevin Hart has something to say, yeah. like where he's yeah. not full on like cussing someone out or getting crazy. <laughs> like I would probably never go to his stand up show because I heard he wouldn't even recommend it. Like he doesn't let his kids watch it or whatever. So I probably wouldn't like that. 
But whenever he does stuff like those sketches with like Conan O'Brien, yeah. where they're both working out together or doing the one, um, they're driving around trying to get this girl her driver's license. And I think Ice Cube is in with them and stuff. It just cracks me up. There are certain SNL sketches that I really like. Again, ones that, you know, generally stay pretty appropriate I think for the most part but um, but then I too have a sister who I feel is like the funniest person in the world and it's primarily because she's very awkward and she's self-admittedly <laughs> awkward but then she'll just say stuff like I have another sister and my niece who were trying they had signed up for curves you know like the workout oh, yeah. place that like you know let's be honest the older ladies go to usually but <laughs> they had signed up for it and my sister Martha was saying, and Martha is like never worked out a day in her life and she knows it. She doesn't care. She doesn't, you know, she, for her, you know, she's going to walk to the front door each morning and leave for work and that she's going to call it good. Um, so she was, they were talking about, you know, their membership to Curves and she's like, yeah, she said, I really, I, I had signed up there, she said, but they told me that my body was so unattainable that it was discouraging the others <laughs> in the gym. And so they asked me not to be a member there. And it's just, she does it so deadpan. And it's obviously, you know, she does a great job of talking through what is clearly the opposite of the situation, but self-deprecating, making fun of herself in a very humorous way. It's super cute. So she always cracks me up when she does stuff like that so anyway but okay so let's talk <laughs> moving in that direction <laughs> let's talk about what kind of humor like when does humor go too far or when do you find it offensive when have you personally crossed a line or had someone else cross a line and it's been like eh, no good you know what do you remember in that front or have you had to grow in this area I've had to grow a little bit because my, my first tendency was to be smart aleck mm -hmm. um, and to use sarcasm, just constantly throw stuff out. Um, so it's been learning who the person is I'm talking to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, feeling out the situation mm -hmm. and going, okay, this person's, I, I can see it in their eyes. There's a good sparkle there. We can play back and forth a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's also learning to, to read the room. And when mm -hmm. people are done, they're done. It's like, you, you can't keep poking them because they're going to turn around and slap you or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So you want to, you want to be sensitive to that and just pay attention to people. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Being sarcastic. I have definitely gotten myself in trouble before, mm -hmm. um, especially because sometimes I do it so much that people don't know what's reality oh, and they're yeah. like, what? And I'm like, no, that was sarcastic. I promise. <laughs> and so I've definitely had to like learn people and how they take sarcasm or, or even like wordplay or even the kind of the area that I'm in and okay, this is appropriate for this context. Like at a funeral, I'm not going to pull out some of my jokes, but sometimes you need that to lighten it up in other situations. So, so just like finding the right area and kind of reading the room and the, and the situation for, for when it's okay to pull it out. Or I will say sometimes with my puns, I, I just keep going, especially when I'm camping. There are so many wood puns that you can just keep. I only get, with one of my friends, I get three for the trip. That's okay. the rule. So. <laughs> Would Glad. you stop? Yeah. <laughs> well, I start barking up the wrong tree and they oh ask me to leave goodness. them alone. Oh, and... my goodness. It gets rough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, oh, my word, that's so bad. Okay, yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I think for me, sarcasm definitely has been a problem. In fact, well, I know it was because, and I often share this anecdote in, my, in a talk that I give about how I had this pretty toxic boyfriend who nothing about our relationship was good. But at one point during the relationship, he said, Lisa, 
we think, and he never told me who we was, so I feel like he was collectively just bringing other people into this conversation. Yeah, yeah, the royal we, (laughs) that you use sarcasm too much and it hurts other people. Okay, so... I don't think he said that to me with good intentions. I don't think there was anything great about this conversation. But when he said it, I was like, he is right. And I need to change that. And so it was just very convicting. Even, you know, stuff sometimes can be delivered in a way that you're not like, oh, please tell me more, you know, because I so respect you. But and of course, the relationship imploded and whatever. And that was a good thing. But I have never forgotten that. And it made me realize how. Yeah, you know, I I tend to err on the side now more of like self-deprecating humor or I find that I can be sarcastic about things in people if I'm poking fun at a strength of a person, Mm -hmm. you know, because you never want to make fun of people's weaknesses or identify something crazy and stuff. But so that I always think of that. But also... I've just trended towards more like, what does it mean to be like genuinely encouraging and actually Mm -hmm. say something real and be honest about something instead of, you know, because I used to use sarcasm to try to address real issues with people too. And I'm like, if I just make this sarcastic aside, maybe they'll see that I'm really actually trying to address something and they'll be like, oh my goodness, I need to stop this behavior. Mm, No, (laughs) it's horrible. Yeah, I'm like, that's like the worst (laughs) communication tactic ever. So um, anyway, so I would definitely say, yeah. And, And sometimes being a talker you know i can get myself in trouble because all of a sudden i'm like three minutes ahead and i'm like whoa reel it in well that shouldn't have been said and so it can get tricky i don't know how about you yeah that makes a lot of sense i what bill and laura were saying about reading the room i taught high school english last Mm -hmm. year and a ninth grader man that's just such a spectrum of humor like some of them are gonna understand sarcasm (laughs) and understand your references and things like that and the others just go straight over their head so i remember uh, we had to give back test scores, right, for the mm-hmm. year. And you, you, you learn a lot about a student when it's one-on-one versus when it's the entire class because mm-hmm. maybe they're you know feeling the pressure of their friends and they're yeah. going to be a different person in the class versus mm-hmm. one-on-one. So uh, in providing a test score that wasn't the best news, right, you had mm-hmm. to, like, brace them a little bit and provide yeah. that humor mm-hmm. and, and re- recognizing that, yeah, this is a student that can handle that a little bit better. Um, like you said, acknowledging the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, And using humor to do that uh, can sometimes go great and sometimes not. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes you have to evaluate, is there enough distance from the situation to like poke fun Mm -hmm. at it? Because Mm -hmm. I did this with my sister for her (laughs) her wedding uh, reception or no, maybe it was the rehearsal dinner. I did a slideshow for Mm -hmm. her. And it included some pretty gnarly photos of her teen years, which like for me, it's like, let's pick one day out of the month where where I look like decent. I mean, most of the time I like roll into work and I'm like still doing my hair and I'm like, you know, oh, okay, I'll brush my teeth and then get in and whatever. So it's very questionable. And I have no problem like poking fun at myself for that. Yeah. Like this is like, you know, she's older than I am by about, you know, 15 years. So we're talking like cat glasses, plaid pants, <laughs> like really oh. bad, like bad weirdo hairstyles and stuff. Mm. So I just threw those in because I'm like, this is gold. People are going to love it. And she was like super offended by it because, oh, you know, I mean, yeah. it was like, that sure, was she was eight feet tall on a screen, but like whatever, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just magnified the awesomeness. But yeah, so I have to realize that what I'm comfortable with maybe other people aren't comfortable with. You know, that's interesting to hear. I was reading um, an article in The Atlantic after the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, and we saw the people who were holding onto the plane. And the writer of the article said he asked some of his friends, what did you think of that image? And one guy said it was kind of funny. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What was mm-hmm. funny about people dying? And it was just the fact that if we don't have the right kind of empathy mm-hmm. and we don't understand the people around us, we can go some terrible places with humor. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty dark image in history. And here's this guy going, it's kind of funny to see a guy fall off plane you know Mm -hmm. it's like no this is not captain america jumping here yeah Mm -hmm. um so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of learning you know when is i like what you said when is it appropriate and it's not always appropriate to to be goofy well and sometimes it's like only certain people can do humor in certain contexts you know like doing in-person humor i mean if you're not like a full-on stand-up you need to like keep your (laughs) your humor interjections like pretty short Mm -hmm. because it's funny how but i would say most of us and i kind of want to take a turn here and talk about this like humor used in emails social media Mm -hmm. texting you know whatever because now you're not seeing facial expressions you're not understanding context necessarily how has that worked for you because I know for me I tend to find overuse of emojis to be anathema, but I just have to put them in there because if yeah. I say something funny or sarcastic, I have to be like, smiley, heart emoji, exclamation point, smiley, smiley. Otherwise, people aren't going to understand that I'm actually joking. So I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, the punctuation matters so much, right? Yeah. The, the difference between a period and an exclamation point. I've had to explain that so many times to my mom. Like, yeah. oh. <laughs> I feel like you're yelling at me if it's oh, a yeah. period, right? Caps. Yeah. And, but if it's exclamation, like exclamation doesn't mean what it does to her to me, right? Like it, yeah. it's a, it has the opposite effect. Yeah. 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 JK, LOL. <laughs> you know, just tell her to put that after me. Exactly. JK, LOL. So we have to have a strong gift game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely use those a lot, especially if I'm... If I don't know quite how to respond to whatever the message was, I'll be like, I'll find a gift that'll like relate to that. So that's been one of my like fallbacks is like, okay, can I find something funny that will connect to this? I love gifts. I just, yeah, the gift game is strong. I love it. <laughs> well, one of the one of the things I'll do in email is if I'm trying to respond to a bigger situation, and I and I know who I'm emailing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not opposed to stretching it out a little bit and just adding some crazy. Uh, I send an email. Uh, to my boss and a couple of coworkers, they're asking, where can we pick up this piece of equipment? And so I put, you can pick it up behind 7-Eleven, see the man in the dark trench coat <laughs> at 11 o'clock, and mm-hmm. getting the info, but also getting their attention in a little bit too, and just having some fun with it. Mm-hmm. So that I think is where you can use humor effectively, but mm-hmm. be really careful because sometimes that emoji doesn't quite convey the twinkle in somebody's eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's good. And it, it actually shows, you know, again, it, it depends on the type of person you're yeah. sharing it with. And again, if it's like a third party, like that's a totally third party illustration. It's not using someone as an example or right. as the mm-hmm. butt of the joke or whatever. So you can tend to be a little safer, I guess, yeah. in that space. I don't know. Um, so what, you know, what does it look like then to, where have you found that using humor in a situation actually works for you? Like, can you use it at work generally? Do you find people to be pretty amenable to it overall? I think so. Yeah. Laura, Laura and I work together and whether it's just kind of in passing, Mm -hmm. um, going to the restroom or getting lunch, that kind of stuff, it can be good for that little like quick quip. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend it in a, in a two hour meeting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of those, those, you know, second interactions those those are always good yeah i would say i used it recently we had a a bigger department meeting here at work and it got very tense it was Mm -hmm. just a lot of things we're planning for the future 
there was a lot of hard discussion, good discussion, but the room felt tense. So we took a break and I was presenting at the time and I thought, you know, I have, I collect kind of offbeat stuff, kind of product labels and misspellings and things. And so to introduce the next session, I took about five minutes and just showed some of these images and gave a running commentary. And it really lightened the mood of the room up. It's like, okay, we had a really tough discussion, but now let's turn the corner. And it was a, it was a really good tool because it really reset the conversation mm-hmm. and we're able to say that's in the past. We'll take care of it as we move forward, but let's move on. Let's mm-hmm. do this thing next. And that was a good tool I found to use at that time. Yeah, that is good. I, I've noticed I even move now, for example, my direct boss who I've had on the show, Greg Smalley, <laughs> he's a funny guy and he likes to use sarcasm a lot. And so he and I will banter back and forth. And we kind of have this running thing going about like where he's always trying to be like, put forth this image of like a a guy's guy, like a manly man, Mm -hmm. but then he just does things that are, you know, diametrically opposed to that. Mm -hmm. So he's talking about how like he really wants to get at some point a Ford Raptor, which is apparently some (laughs) tricked out truck or something like that. And I'm like, oh, I said, that would be so awesome because then you can drive it like to Costco to pick up your Pellegrinos. (laughs) Because that is exactly what he does. And I'm just like, he acts like he's going to go out in the woods and be all like, and I'm like, what is up with all these suburban? urban guys that are just driving yeah. these big trucks and going to Costco and stuff. So we laugh about that. But yeah, I've definitely figured out that that's okay territory to to go into. Um, now, where's a good example of um, kind of as we finish out here, a good example of building others up with humor? Like when is it? Well, Bill, you gave an example of diffusing, you know, a, a tough situation in a meeting. Yeah. Is a good, yeah. That's yeah, a good way I think to sometimes them. too, um, because I'll go and do events, Greg Smalley's you know, Lisa and I both work for Greg, but there'll be times that uh, he'll come back during an event and he'll banter a little bit like, this church had pens. Why don't we have pens? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, oh, I forgot to download the upgrade. You know, it's like, so we have a little bit of that, but I can also turn that and say, man, you know, Greg, you you did this and this was totally unexpected Mm -hmm. so highlighting little things you can do it in a light-hearted way that lowers people's defenses Mm -hmm. and it makes them a little more open but but again be careful because it can backfire too yeah Hmm. yeah i think sometimes even just having that basis of humor gives you a little bit more of that relational capital kind of of like okay we do need to have a serious conversation but we've had even that work like i've had lighter conversations and so it's not always only been business so it kind of gives me that buffer to say okay i know i've been humorous in the past i know we have a good relationship and i've um, been able to do that and so yeah just being able to throw in a little humor here and there and society has been so tense with COVID mm-hmm. and the aftermath. Mm-hmm. It's almost like somebody who can lighten up a little bit is refreshing. So mm-hmm. that's a good gift to develop. Yeah. No, that's great. Absolutely. I also think with mistakes, like when someone makes a mistake, yeah. they can mm-hmm. feel really down. And so sometimes pointing at mistakes that you've made, right? Yeah. whether it's similar or not, um, that can kind of slip into that self-deprecating humor. But it can lighten it up and kind of show people that, hey, even though you made a mistake, it's okay. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. And, you know, I alluded to both my mom and dad being funny people. And I remember even around my dad's funeral. I mean, this is like a tricky (laughs) business, you know, but but my dad was such a funny guy that to just be like to be willing to tell some of his weird jokes or to be like to make light of the situation. It's like, you know, it's okay. You know, he's okay. It's not 
it's hard when you feel like, oh, because of the situation, we all just have to be sad. And I feel mm-hmm. like we can all be sad and still see, you know, celebrate the humor that he had as well. And so doing both of those is a is a good thing. So. Well, you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. This was fun. So yeah. I didn't come up with my pun, Laura. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this separately. I'm going to have to find it and put it on social. I'll make something up and put it on social. And I'm you excited. guys can all. You're you'll... good at making things up. Oh my... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, like every show. You didn't quite so. find the point <laughs> of the rhino joke. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thank you, Lizzie. Here is like a broken record. Same old songs of accusation play. I courier you to speak the truth Just look at all your failures and mistakes And if they really knew you There's no way they could love you anyway Oh, oh, oh but I will Okay, folks, here we are for a culture segment. We are welcoming back friend of the Boundless Show, Brant Hansen. Brant, good to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you for making space for me. Well, we, by making space, he means that we a little bit miss the fact that he was actually in Colorado. And so when I found this out, I was like, "Um, can you run over to our studios and maybe do like a video or two? And then we'll talk about like, you know, your latest book and then whatever. And he's like, yeah. And you showed up with a blazer complete with satinesque, really, at least pocket square. Very nice, smart looking blazer and yeah. a little pocket square thing that's satin like. Yeah. And I think it looks great, but it, it does. It does. You makes me happy. We were talking before we started taping that you are now living in Florida. Is this, I mean, I'm almost getting a South Beach vibe out of this. Maybe I don't know if that's a good I don't know. Am I like Don Johnson? Maybe. I don't know. That's not, that's not up to me we don't, to decide. It's not up to you. Am, okay. I the, am I incredibly cool looking like from the beach area and totally fitting into that? That's, I don't. I don't even think about that kind of stuff. Well, that's I, not my question. I think okay, you know, other people can decide, but I think what you need to do is you need to give yourself the option of maybe once in a while swapping out. You need a little pink polka dot swatch. Oh yeah, in there, have the option. And I'm going to do time. like uh, pastel T-shirts with white <laughs> unconstructed blazers pulled up around the elbows. Well, there's always something. There's always something. Okay, well, we want to talk today, and, you know, we always feel like whenever we do culture segments, the time just flies by. It's so nutty. But um, 
you have I I don't even know. Okay, those of you that know Brant, he does radio. He does a podcast, the Brant and Sherry Oddcast. Um, I have been on it. I feel like I think you told me that I was your best guest of all time. I feel on that. I don't remember that. Oh, okay, I don't, I don't remember. Okay, maybe it was me that, that said that, but I just I knew I heard it somewhere. Huh. Anywho. And then you're just like writing books. You speak a fair amount still, although, you know, COVID, everyone was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, the book that we're going to talk about today, you have titled The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are, which is awesome. I jokingly said this must be my my biography or my autobiography. <laughs> it also could be a straight up theology book because I feel like this is where we're going to tread in this conversation. It gets there, but... I'm not trying to be theological. Yeah. Like some people are like, oh, this is about total depravity. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what yeah, I think about fan. that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I like Dallas Willard talking about, he's like, well, I believe in enough depravity. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't even know what we mean by all these terms. Yeah. But I do know that modern psychology is agreeing with Jesus now. Uh-huh. That's amazing to me. When I was reading all this stuff, like Daniel Kahneman stuff, he's won the Nobel Prize yeah. as, a, as, a, as a cognitive psychologist. Jonathan Haidt at NYU is, is leading in his field. He wrote a book called The Righteous Mind mm-hmm. and said that humans are so self-righteous, it's our number one feature. Mm-hmm. We're machines. We're always so self-righteous. He's not a believer. Yeah. These are, these are people coming at it from a completely different angle, and they're concluding that we are so laden with biases. Like Kahneman's impression of humanity is that we'll never get this straight. Yeah. There's something so deeply wrong with us. We're always so biased to ourselves. We have all these shortcuts, all these heuristics that we use mm-hmm. that are all basically to make me think I'm good. Yeah. And that is our number one delusion, according to these guys. I find that fascinating being somebody who's a Jesus follower. Right. Well, exactly. And so, and that's kind of my question is how, okay, so what then is your motivation for writing around this to a large, because when you, when you talk, you're talking, you know, largely, you know, to Christians, written maybe to a Christian audience, though though many others as well. But why do Christians, again, need to be reminded of this? Shouldn't we be <laughs> already like, hey, clued in? Yeah, that well, I, I get that, what you're saying. However, there's, there's a few things. Number one, we this is how all humans work. Mm-hmm. And to understand that is, I think, really important. We can see it on display. This is why our culture, I would say, our culture is more self-righteous now than it was when it was more Christian. Mm-hmm. Like, so people associate, you know, Christianity or religion with being self-righteous, but I think we're getting more self-righteous. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. This is why the virtue signaling, this is why the posing, this is what, because we have to prove ourselves to be good people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really, honestly, I can, I can say this with you, mm-hmm. um, but this could be really confusing to people. But when we use the word social justice, for instance, we're really talking about goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, that's what people are saying in their mind. They can't define it necessarily, but they just want to be good. And if we can't get our righteousness through God, we are constantly going to have to prove it. Yeah. So anybody who's not secure with God, you're constantly going to be posing, flexing, having to be right all the time. Mm -hmm. I also think Christians need to know this stuff, too, because I I go through some of the cognitive biases that are common with humans. There's more than 100, but most of them are just to justify ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we do that. Yeah. Well, it seems like we are constantly in this state of self-improvement and trying to improve ourselves. I mean, we know, you know, every one of you listening, you know, you've taken every personality test that's out there and you're trying to figure yourself out and how you can become better and how you can become, you know, whether it's a better leader or a better motivator or a better citizen or or whatever. And it, it almost 
almost seems like we fall into two camps or there seem to be trends. And I don't know, tell me what you think about this, Brant. Like, you know, a lot of Christians move into legalism Mm -hmm. as a result. So they're going to be like, I'm going to work my way into this. I'm going to perform my way into being a better person and being someone that God approves of. And and into that, we, we enter sin management systems and we hide and all that kind of stuff. Or we have the moralists who are kind of like, I'm just going to be better than the next guy. And then hopefully that's going to be good enough. And it seems that, is it just, uh, why Why would you say we're so desperate to prove ourselves rather than, I, I mean, it seems a little self-assumptive, but rather, do we all just need to kind of admit that we have to decide that we're not okay in that sense? Uh, I think we need to admit that we're sinners and God, please help me. Mm-hmm. Not even we're sinners. I need to admit I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. Lord, help me. Jesus clearly shows the Pharisee going in there. I've done this. I've done that. Lord, thank you that I'm not like this guy. And then the right posture from the other guy mm-hmm. is I'm a sinner. Help me. Now, I know pe- I know Christians know this, but I don't think we've absorbed it mm-hmm. to the point that it makes us more desperate for God. Our, we think we're rational and reasonable people. We're not. Mm-hmm. This is what modern psychology is showing us. This is what Jesus is showing us, too, mm-hmm. over and over. We actually use our reasoning not as a way to make good decisions, but as a way to justify what we already wanted. Yeah. That's the human condition. Yeah. Christians do it, non-Christians, but we're constantly lining up reasons. One thing I talk about in the book, too, it's interesting. The more educated you are and the higher your IQ, the more you're good at being wrong. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because people are great. If the smarter you are, the more reasons you can come up with what, why your position is correct on a given issue. Mm-hmm. If you have to list on one side of a page of paper, here's why I'm right. And on the other side, list the reasons your opponents are right mm-hmm. or why they have good arguments, what their good arguments are. Mm-hmm. Smart people can do more on the left, but they, don't, they, can't, they still don't understand the arguments of their, the people on the other side. Mm-hmm. So all they've done is just become more convincing to themselves. Yeah. But you still don't have understanding. But we, we, we think we use our rationality to be level-headed people. And the truth is we just don't. That's not how humans operate. Yeah. So give a couple examples of like this self-justification. Because, again, Christians of all people should be like, you know, have mercy on me, oh, Lord, a sinner. You know, I mean, we know the Pharisee uh, flew in the face of that. But, you know, we think that with all that we, you know, sitting in front of preachers, having so much scripture, you know, having that available, being transformed, you know, by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. And yet we're always just like posing and trying to hide and trying to pass the buck. What are what are some examples, maybe contemporary examples of how we're doing that? Well, I mean, at the the basic level, there's there's a thing called moral bargaining, for instance. Mm -hmm. And you see this all the time with people and Christians, too, where it's like, okay, I didn't do that. But I did do this, mm-hmm. or if I do a lot of this good thing, then I can get away with this other bad thing. I mean, it's just stuff we do, mm-hmm. but we'll talk ourselves into it, how we use our money, how we – good grief. We Think about how we talk ourselves into – this will seem innocuous, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to just stay innocuous mm-hmm. rather than condemn one particular sin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give an example of somebody's Feel- sin that – <laughs> I mean, I can talk about myself, but I, I, was just, I just mentioned in the book, innocuous thing seemingly is like uh, budgeting. Mm-hmm. I've already got raisins. I don't need to buy a new shirt. Mm-hmm. And then, whoa, that shirt is on sale and it's got the shoulder things. I like the little button things, mm-hmm. kind of military. <laughs> like, well, uh-huh. you know, you got to buy clothes. And uh-huh. next thing I know, I'm buying it. Mm-hmm. 
where you you're you're got a budget. I'm spending five thousand dollars on a used car, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you just bought a new car for twenty six thousand. We financed it like mm-hmm. because you liked it. It smelled good, and you got in it. They know this. This is this is what we fall for. Yeah. So this is we have to be aware of that. I think being aware of it, realizing that we're not as rational as we think. We don't make good decisions when we're not humble. Mm-hmm. So. What Jesus is giving us is a way to say, I have to be humble. I don't always know what the best route is. What I need to do is ask God for direction more. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to myself, too, on that, because I don't enough. Yeah. But that's, that is a constant theme all the way through Scripture is humble people versus the proud. Mm-hmm. They do, people do fall into two camps in Jesus' worldview. It's obvious. It's the proud and the humble. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is let's, let's recognize this about ourselves. There's something deeply broken about us. Here's another thing I thought was really interesting. I don't, I don't mean to filibuster. You've got great questions. No. But I get excited about Go this. Ahead. <laughs> it has a lot get of words. Get excited. Yay. I wrote all these words. <laughs> but the guy who, And very funnily, by the way. Thank which you. Which you do in all your books. Thank you're, you. You're very fun with I, self-disclosure. I try it's to good. lighten it up. And, <laughs> I, what I try with this book is I wanted to combine. Whether I hit it or not doesn't matter. I try to combine. I wanted to. Like well, that's a, why I said it's theology, but it's almost like written in stories. You're like, wait a minute. I feel like I've read that in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And hopefully Malcolm Gladwell, because I'm drawing on a lot of research and <laughs> uh-huh. showing all these biases, which I, which I think are deeply funny at one level. But I wanted to mash up Malcolm Gladwell and Dave Barry and Tim mm. Keller. <laughs> into one <laughs> thing. They're all very similar, so it's good. Yes. Okay. I was going right. to mention this guy that I can't remember his name. I'm sorry, it's in the book, but he's the creator of Westworld. Oh, yeah. And he has this, yeah, yeah. He has this very dark, according to Entertainment Weekly, they interviewed him, like, why do you have this dark view of humans? Like, you don't seem very optimistic. He's like, I'm not optimistic. <laughs> right. It's like, we keep making the same mistakes over and over, over and over for centuries. It's the same thing over and over and over, he said. And then he said, I think we have something deeply wrong with all of this. It's like there's a flaw in our code, he Mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. He is not a believer. Mm -hmm. He's identifying this thing. He can call it a flaw in the code. We have another word for it in the Christian lexicon. But we believe in the same thing. There's... Everybody knows this is true. Mm -hmm. So why don't... Like, approaching the world this way, being more humble... Uh, letting people speak into our lives and decisions, um, being less defensive because we know we can be wrong. Mm-hmm. We also are wronger than we think. Mm-hmm. People will say, oh, I'm wrong all the time. Really? Give me three examples <laughs> of when you're wrong. And they can't. Right. right. They can't. We we blot those out. That's actually, uh, there's a mechanism we have in our brain to block out when we're wrong. And it's we're spectacularly wrong, but then we forget about it. Yeah. It reminds me of not long ago at Boundless, um, I wrote an article that I titled, I want honest feedback, but not really. And it was all around. I said, I think the sub on it, I said something like, I don't know, especially millennials and now Gen Z are so about like feedback. And I'm like, I don't know who's asking for feedback and act actually acting on it because I use the example of like my Bible study. I'm like, we're not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what we do? We share random prayer requests that are really about justifying why we're angry at other people and then asking people just to pray about it in mm-hmm. hopes that we won't have to do anything about it. <laughs> so that's right. But, but why do you think that is? I mean, again, it's this idea of like, we supposedly want to grow. We supposedly want to know if I, if I'm being a colossal jerk, I would rather have someone that I know and love tell me that rather than the entire world around me knowing it and not saying anything. If they're on your side and you know it, you can receive yeah. it. I, I've gotten yeah. blasted okay. by people I really respect and who, who love me. Yeah. And it, it almost felt good. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm totally serious. Like, yeah. it didn't in the moment, but maybe 10 minutes later, like, that guy really loves me. Right. That he would say something like that. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it's got to be from somebody like that. I th- I don't think we well, – the reason I think sometimes we're we're shallow in our discussions or whatever is, like, I, and we're pointing out other people's flaws is, again, this is our biggest delusion. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks they're better than average driver. It's like 85% mm-hmm. say I'm a better a better than average. The same thing goes with intelligence, even with looks. I'm I'm better looking than the average person. This is normal that we all overrate ourselves. The biggest delusion these psychologists say is this, mm-hmm. moral goodness. 93% consistently say I'm a better moral person than the average person. And you can go in prisons, you'll get 93%. You can go down Main Street, 93%. You can go to people who are like, it's it's staggering. But this is our biggest delusion. And I think part of it is because we desperately want to justify ourselves before God. Even if we say we don't believe in him, mm-hmm. we're itching to prove that we're okay. I need to justify my existence on this planet. Yeah. Well, and here's kind of a, you know, I know you shared the the budgeting slash spending example, but this one's kind of a, a colossal one that's actually so glaring, it's almost embarrassing. But this is me. Like, I've, I've realized I could say that I'm a controlling person. And that sounds pretty, you know, without giving any details, people are like, oh, no, you're not, you know, or they're going to say whatever to respond to that. Uh-huh. But here's how I'm controlling that my, say, for example, there was a situation not long ago where my family members did not make the right decision in something that I thought they should. And I felt like it was a very selfish decision. So I confronted them on it and it basically did nothing. And so then I basically just decided that either they're not saved or (laughs) because what I was deciding was that they were not behaving in the way that I felt that they should behave. And you are the standard. And I am the standard. I was right. They weren't behaving. And so then what I was going to do is subtly or not so subtly punish them for their bad behavior because it wasn't falling in line with what I knew to be right. And so all of a sudden, not only am I being unkind, being judgmental, being a number of things, including controlling, but I have now completely separated myself from them and made a hierarchy of goodness totally. without even thinking that I'm doing it. And we all do this. I appreciate you being honest enough to recognize that. I think that's a big step for us. And also, again, no, there's not a time in the Bible, there's not a time in Jesus' life in the Gospels, he never turns away a desperate person. Hmm. I don't think we're desperate very often. I don't mm-hmm. think we desperately understand just how... You, you can say, well, I haven't killed anybody in the last week or I haven't, you know... Mm-hmm. Knocked off any, you know, Seven Elevens. I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, but ha- how have you failed to love, mm-hmm. like Jesus does or like God does? How have you, have you fallen short of that? Like that's me all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not to beat yourself up, but just understand who we actually are. Yeah, there's a fascinating thing too, which this guy, who's a he, he was a professor, um, but he he was a professor like in the '90s in the 80s, very accomplished in, in psychology. But he remembered always telling people where he was as a kid when, when Pearl Harbor happened. Hmm. And he said, I remember distinctly, um, I was I was listening to a ball game. They cut in. It was a baseball game. They cut in during the game. They said, you know, this had happened in Hawaii. And so he always knew where he was. And exactly that moment just crystallized until somebody said, one of his students was like, what? They, aren't play, they don't play baseball in December. It's December 7th. 
And he was like, I know for a fact that's, but it couldn't have been. So when the Challenger disaster happened, he asked his students in the, in the class, this is like 86. He asked his students, write down where you were, what you were thinking, all the environment. He brought that back to them 10 years later, those students. And he asked him, well, he didn't bring it back to him yet, but he asked him, where were you 10 years ago? Over half of them had completely different stories. I know exactly where I was. And it did not match what they had written. And one lady even said once when 10 year old, you know, past her college age student said, I know that's my handwriting, but there's no way I said that. Huh. Wow. We are way wrong so many times, but we're just absolutely convinced because we're thinking it. And Jonathan Heights said, it's like we have our own PR department that works in our head mm -hmm. to spin things, mm -hmm. constantly spinning to make us look good and other people look bad. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. So, okay. I want to talk a little bit about just straight up, like going, I mean, for lack of a better term, going after humility or what humility is or how, because everyone wants, again, like you're saying, everyone wants to think that we're humble or if we say we're not humble, we at least want to be humble. Yeah. But who's really, you know, I mean, do you just like decide you're going to be humble? I mean, I feel like it's very, very confusing. And one way that this plays out, I've actually been, uh, I've done a few talks on this lately is kind of this idea of, of being kind in a very divided world. I mean, I feel like that's a great playing field for this whole thing to play out, especially for Christians, because I had, you know, through one group that I talked to not too long ago, I'd come up with 10 different things that they had to mark true false answers. If it was, you know, and it was around the vaccine, whether uh -huh. or not they'd gotten it or around the last election or, um, you know, a, a homeschool or private school education is superior to a public school one. Everyone had to give their opinions. And after uh, when talking to people afterwards, they were extremely I had people stand up. They had to switch papers and then stand up based uh -huh. on the truths on uh -huh. their sheet. Uh -huh. And you could just tell and people affirmed this afterwards that that person, I can't believe that there are that many people standing up for that. I can't mm -hmm. believe that there, and these, none of them were biblical absolutes. These were all things that reasonable Christians could disagree on and immediately lines were drawn. And immediately one of my friends who had someone's paper said, I didn't even want to stand up for some of the things that were on my sheet, even though they weren't my, it wasn't my sheet. Hmm. I didn't even want to represent hmm. those physically hmm. for an opinion that wasn't even my own. That's fascinating. And so how do we, what does this look like for Christians? Because I feel like Christians are fighting about this stuff just as much as anyone else, yet we're just going around saying, you know, Jesus said, I read Philippians. I know I'm supposed to be humble. What's that about? Well, Explain it for us okay, now, well, right now. There's, there's a thing first, two things. <laughs> there's a thing called attitude polarization effect, and it's a cognitive bias. But as soon as we hear ourselves take a position on something, we're all in. Mm-hmm. I mean, all in, because I said it. It may not even be something I care about that much, but I was like, yeah, I think this guy, I think uh, Mahomes is a better quarterback than um, <laughs> uh, than Don Brady or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, oh, I don't think so. Why do you think that? Now I'm, I'm going to go to the mat for this. Mm -hmm. We have a real problem with backing off of our first opinion. We will double, triple, quadruple down. It becomes about, it's a personal thing. So that's a weird thing. This is why I say, because you have tremendous control over your heart. Um, if you are hostile towards somebody or you decide to take a public position in a Facebook thread or whatever, you're going to declare, it's going to be really hard for you to ever say you're wrong. Mm -hmm. So watch out for that. Secondly, this can work in our favor. If you respond kindly to somebody with whom you disagree, you just say, yeah, you can say whatever you want. Maybe it's, 
hey, I, I'm not sure I agree with what you just wrote. How are the kids doing? Or how's your, <laughs> how's your brother? <laughs> I just wonder and miss you. We hear ourselves take that tone and it changes our heart mm-hmm. because, <laughs> because we just did that. So that's one thing. The other thing about humility, I honestly do think like no one's going to rate their humility. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Part of being humble, I think, is not having to think about it all the time. I just want to be a blessing to people. I mean, people are looking. People are desperately lonely. People are looking for security, significance, and love. I, that's every human being. So how can I be a bless them with that? That's all. I don't know. I do think there's an AA vibe at here at work here that could be where you show up and you acknowledge I'm, I'm an alcoholic that forces you into a certain place. Mm-hmm. The guy that Jesus is saying, take his, take his posture. We just go, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. That is a great posture to have. Mm-hmm. And then there's that desperation every day for God. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't leave you when you're aware of that, it doesn't leave you much space to do too much preening and posturing and posing. Yeah. It's so, um, you know, I mean, it's a very popular cliche to say, you know, okay, well, remember, God doesn't want me to be famous. He wants me to be faithful. But that is a cliche that I'm willing to repeat because I think it's easy to understand. And it is easy. (laughs) It's something that we have to remind ourselves of. Because again, it's exactly what you're saying. And this is so hard to do because now we're all wrapped up in social media and we're all whack about, you know, we have too many people in our lives. I remember saying not too long ago that, you know, now because I have accepted a, you know, connected with a guy on, on social who went to high school with me, I would never under any circumstances know if he was alive or dead, except that now we're connected on social. So now I have him in my sphere. And it's just like, but what about the person that's literally right in front of me today? And and why don't we just close in our spheres and affect people and love people that we actually can be? This is just it about humility, because then you can drop the defensiveness or pretending like you know everything. People can't say, I don't know. They do something called confabulating. (laughs) It's putting together a fable. That's what the word means. Yeah. We just can't say, I don't know. Yeah. But when you have this posture, you can be less defensive. You can say, I don't know. You can be able to focus on the person in front of you without being threatened. Yeah. Whoever comes across your path today, be faithful with them. I have to tell you something about the fame thing. To whatever grade double Z level I'm at, I will say this. I saw Dallas Willard speak years ago at like a youth convention or something for youth pastors or something. I was doing that like 20 years old. And he said, I'd never prayed for a platform. I prayed for something to say. And he said, God has never stopped giving me stuff to say. Hmm. And so I prayed for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did not, and I am not, I don't think maybe there's, maybe there's some part of me that wants to at least do something, but like, that's been my thing. Please give me things to say. Yeah, And it's been neat because I've never run out of stuff. I have to say all this stuff every day on my radio show, like 20 things I have to say every day. Mm-hmm. And God's been really faithful. So I just think about the faithfulness of today. Let me be a blessing to whoever crosses my path. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, the book is The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are. And it's just reminding me how, again, I say this so often on The Boundless Show, but literally, I'm just I'm just going to say it again. Here's my thing to say today. If you are not in the Word of God, 
that then you don't need to be doing anything else. I mean, that is, we, we try to come up with all these constructs of growth and personal whatever and leadership and all this stuff, even in Christian communities. And the Bible itself is the only thing transformative for your life. And that's what's going to mature you. That's what's going to get you where you need to be rather than drawing out some acrostic and being all weird about this and coming up with well, tactics. I would have and... pushed back on that a little bit years ago. Uh-huh. But yeah. as an adult, I would have been like, no, the, let's get, not the Bible, Bible, Bible. It's about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, there's almost nothing he says that's not directly from scripture. Right. He memorized everything. Yeah. He's in it all the time. Like, wait a second. I yeah. Or I, I need to be about it too. Anyway, I just wanted to underscore. And it's why it will live forever. God's word will live forever, you guys, including the souls of, uh, of those who who have existed in eternity. So, um, Brant, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me, keeping it cash. Um, again, folks, the truth about us and just FYI for you, we want to make this book available to you here at Boundless. So, uh, you are going to go to boundless.org. You will see, go to this week's episode. You will see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give a gift of any amount to Boundless for stuff that you already love that we do and you know you're in our sphere and we love you. Um, but any contribution that you can give, and that I, li- I mean that literally anything, we want to send Brant's book to you as our thank you to you. And you can read it yourself. You can give it to that friend that you think isn't humble. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> right upside the head. Here you go, right? Copies for yeah. everyone you think needs to read it. I personally <laughs> am ordering copies for every one of my siblings because you know I already went there. Um, <laughs> but no, great truths here. And again, told in true Brant style. And so um, we always love it when you can pop by the studio. Thank so you. Thanks so much. Honored. Awesome. We buried dreams, laid them deep into the earth behind us, said our goodbyes at the grave, but everything reminds us, God knows we ache when he asks us to go on, how do we go on, we will sing to our souls, we won't Folks, we are finishing out the show, and as we always do, we finish with our inbox, and we answer one of your questions, and I'm actually going to answer this week's question. It's kind of a relationship-slash-dating conundrum, so here we go. Our listener says, I'm wondering how I should handle a particular situation. Let's say I'm interested in getting to know a certain guy, but then I get asked out by a different guy. I want to get to know the person I'm interested in, but I don't know him very well. That interest in him is preventing me from getting to know the man who has already asked me out. How do I reconcile a situation like this? 
Okay, so good question, and it is a little bit tricky. And first of all, um, rejoice in the fact that you actually have people you're interested in and you have people who are interested in you because we have so many people who write to us and they're like, there's no one great out there and I'm not interested in anyone. So, you know, consider your problem a good one. So there you have it. Um, Okay, but moving into it and the situation at hand, uh, the first thing you have to do is kind of define getting to know because... Um, You know, if you're talking about investing in and considering a relationship with, you really only have one option, and that is the guy who actually asked you out. So, you know, I always caution against having these false relationships in your head with people who have not actually expressed interest in you, because it just goes nowhere and it sets you up for a bunch of frustration. And then you're like, but I thought that he might have started being interested in me. And it's like, no, he really wasn't. And then you just wasted a bunch of time. So here you have a guy in front of you who actually asked you out, who wants to get to know you. And I would certainly say if he's a decent guy, um, that is something that you should do and put a priority towards. Now, that said, dating at this stage should not be a full-time job. So there is no reason why you shouldn't be able, honestly, to have the time and be able to get to know both of these guys, Um, because both of these situations are and should be extremely casual at this point. So my ultimate advice for you is to kind of just evaluate this and be chill about it and realize that, you know, I always love to say they're just brothers in Christ, y'all, even if you're dating them until they're married to you. Um, These two dudes who are brothers in Christ, who you have in your sphere, you have the opportunity to get to know them. And so feel free to do that. Um, You have many options here to be friendly to both of them, to be an inviter to both of them, to respond to the guy who's actually asked you out. That's totally fine. What you don't want to do is invest a lot of time and energy pining after a guy who you don't know has any interest in you. So that kind of investment of time can uh, turn out to be a little bit sketchy. But then again, you might go out with this other guy. He asked you out and you might be like, yeah, you know, maybe you go out two or three times and you're like, not really interested. And then you can just kind of end that. But you still remain, you know, friendly. And again, it's fine to continue those relationships. This is where I feel like our grandparents were like super ahead of us because they could just be chill about it. And for some reason, we've gotten all weird. So just allow relationships and friendships to develop with these guys. Um, See what you have uh, possibly with this guy who has shown interest. And there's nothing wrong with that. Remember, in God's economy, he's not limited uh, in what he has to offer. And so that's totally cool. Um, And then just, you know, not that I just want to like throw Bible verses at everything, but I thought this was kind of interesting. I was reading in Proverbs and I actually saw um, in Proverbs, one of the Proverbs there, uh, this says nothing. It doesn't sound like it's going to have anything to do with dating, but it says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Okay, so you're like, "Um, I'm not building houses. What are you talking about, Lisa? The fact is this verse actually just speaks to prioritization. And so it's like getting, you know, getting your field in order before you start adding stuff on top of that and figuring out what that looks like. It just speaks to timing and priorities. And so deal with what you have right in front of you. You know, I talk about Elizabeth Elliot, who also said that. Do the next thing. What do you have available to you as your next thing? Be okay with that. And then, of course, I always love to remind people of James 1.5, which says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So, uh, again, 
Take some time to be chill, be friendly, love the Lord, be honoring of these guys, both of them in whatever space you interact with them, and I think you'll be off to a good start. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, As always, we love to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org, maybe with a question like this one or a different kind. And we would love to answer it on a future show if we can. And so uh, just hit us up there. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.